Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Good morning, DCC. Um, Thank you so much for joining me here. I got a couple of family members out in the audience to kind of spur me on and cheer me on, so I'm not by myself. And I'm only assuming that most of you all are um, gathering in the context of life group. Uh, For some of you all, you are gathering in the context of your immediate family, but some of you are still asleep, (laughs) right? You know, and you're going to click on this when you wake up. And it's all good. No matter uh, how you are streaming with us um, today, um, I just want to say thank you and blessings to you for watching this. Now, today, man, my objective is to encourage you to kind of fortify your faith in the midst of this crisis. Uh, I realize that, man, these past four months, uh, four weeks, and even four days have been difficult for us all. I'm sure like uh, me, you all have been probably asking questions that are both emotional and logical. I can only imagine questions like, man, uh, what if I get sick? What if someone who I love gets sick? Should I go to my job? Should I go to church? Should I go to public gatherings? What's going to happen to the economy? Um, Some of you are asking, man, how am I going to survive when there's no MBA? You know, whatever the case may be, man, I know we are uh, navigating through these things. And uh, one of the things I believe at the heart of these questions um, is simply um, 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 a lack of experience. Now, this doesn't mean that um, sin is not impacting us. But one of the things I believe that we're asking these questions, we have never experienced anything like this. We have never experienced an epidemic. For some of us, we have never even seen a pandemic. And if you have, oftentimes we've seen it through Netflix, right? (laughs) You know, or or maybe The Walking Dead. That was the last pandemic or epidemic that you saw, right? (laughs) You know, uh, or, or you did go through an epidemic or a pandemic, but you were so young, or it was so far away that it did not impact you. And then that is the case, let me say this, that you are in good company. Most of us have not experienced that. Most of us have not seen these things. In fact, God has not even seen everything. Now, stop, stop, do not click it off. Do not click it off. Listen to me. God has never seen a situation that he couldn't solve. God has never seen a sinner that he couldn't save. God has never seen uh, a substitute for his son. God has never seen a sinner that couldn't save himself. God has never seen a disease that he could not dispel. He is God and he is God almighty. And we got to trust that he is in control. And with that being said, I, I think in order for us to answer and ask the question, how should Christians respond in the midst of crisis? I think the first person that we need to go to is God. 
How has God navigated himself in the midst of crisis? In fact, I know one of the questions that most of us are asking ourselves, and that is, where is God in the midst of crisis? Well, uh, I think Israel was asking that same question in Exodus. You know, when Pharaoh was oppressing them and afflicting them, they were asking, where is God? And the Bible said that God heard the cry of his people and heard their affliction. Now, in order to hear something, you must be engaged and you must be listening, right? God was there. In fact, God raised up Moses in the midst of this and told Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And the next thing you see is pestilence. And the next thing you see are plagues. And the next thing you see are insects. All the while, it was God in the end who parted the Red Sea and delivered them out of their crisis. So they were asking a question, where is God? God says, I am here. Even the patriarch, Jacob, whose life was just filtered with trickery and deception, it was God who came to him and said, go to Mount Bethel and meet me there. And it was um, Jacob in Genesis chapter 35 who said, and God answered my prayer in the midst of my distress. And he was with me all the days of my life. So if Jacob asks the question, where is God? God says, I met you on Bethel. I can only imagine even Elijah, the great prophet, during the time of a dry wilderness and during the time of false prophets, asked the question, where is God? Even to the point that when he asked that question, he fled from Jezebel and hid in a cave. He was afraid. Now, you would think that in a time of fear, when we show um, um, compromise or when we show faithlessness, that God is not going to come and get us. But that's not true. Because God went to the cave and said to Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah was explaining his case, but God, to restore his faith, began to show his power. And he blew away the mountains and he showed the earthquake. Why? Because God wanted to show his faithfulness despite our faithlessness. He wanted to show his compassion despite our compromise. So Elijah, where is God? God says, I'm in the cave with you. And lastly, I can only imagine um, of Esther during her time here on the earth, um, during a time when her, her, her people were going to be genocide. They were going to be wiped out. And she was panicking just like all the other Jews. And even Mordecai, her uncle said to her, be silent, don't do anything. But man, this woman in uh, Esther chapter four, she says, listen, I am going to stand before the king. Now, one good thing about the book of Esther is simply this. You don't see the name of God in there. But the providence was so perfect, we can't deny that his handprint was working. And which caused her to say this all powerful word. She says, if I perish, I perish. Where is God in the midst of crisis? He's there. Now, finally, uh, we got to bring Jesus into this. Uh, when Jesus entered into the earth, it was during a time of 400 years of silence. It was during a time when the Roman government was oppressing the Jewish people and God stopped sending his presence and then he sent his son. Oh my goodness. The Bible simply, simply says this, that Jesus Christ is God with flesh on. He is God with skin on, that he came to earth to dwell with us. God says, I'm not even going to do it from a distance anymore. I'm going to show up myself and begin to work and operate in the context of our people. 
And so the Bible says in Matthew chapter four that Jesus Christ was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness and every affliction to the point that demons will fall at his face and say, oh, son of man, why are you here? It's not my time. See, Christ oftentimes teaches us how we respond to crisis, right? And so if you want to ask the question, the first response of every Christian should be, trust God in the midst of crisis. Why? Because he will be there. You can trust that he will be there. He has been faithful in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of epidemics, in the midst of corrupt governments, in the midst of diseases and sickness. God has shown himself to be faithful in the midst of it all. And so one response of every Christian should be this. Trust God in the midst of your crisis. Now, if we can trust God in the midst of our crisis, the next question that we have to ask ourselves is, then what should we be doing? Where should we be when crisis come to our neighborhood in our hometown? In fact, one of the questions you have to ask yourself, what would your generation say about you during the time of the coronavirus? What would your generation say about DCC? What would the, uh, the generation say about the Christian um, who works at certain companies during the coronavirus? And my hope, which is the second response of a Christian during the time of crisis, should be that we should serve our neighbors. Watch this. We already understand that the great commandment, the great commission has already told us to love God. God is going to be with us in the midst of crisis, but the second part always tells us to love our neighbors. One of our responses during a time of crisis is to serve and love our neighbors. One way that we can serve them is to proclaim the gospel. Isn't that what Jesus just said in Matthew chapter 4? That he was proclaiming the gospel in a time of despair. It is good news. People are out there asking the questions of hope and the purpose of life and where do I uh, go after I die? And we have the answer to that. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all those who believe, those in different nations and those who are at home with us. We have the power of the gospel and one way to serve your neighbor is to proclaim it, not to share it, We always think, people ain't worrying about you sharing. In fact, the moment you open your mouth about the good news of Jesus Christ, they are already ready. So the best way that we can serve them is to proclaim the gospel. The second way I think we can serve our brothers and sisters is to serve them by meeting their needs, right? Um, In 1854, Charles Spurgeon, during the cholera disease, um, one of the first acts he did was visit the sick, He visited the sick during one of the greatest diseases in London. He was visiting those who were sick. He was visiting those who were bedridden. And he was sharing the gospel with them. He was laying hands on them, watching them heal. He was doing all those things that a good neighbor does. He was visiting sick. In fact, um, in one article that I read about this time of Charles Spurgeon, it talks about this young lady who was infected with the disease. And, and she was telling both her brothers and sisters, she was saying, go with me. Go with me to heaven. Now, in no way was she telling them to get sick, but she was assuring them where I'm going is in my father's house. That's the message you should be bringing to the brothers and sisters that you are visiting who are sick. 
Now, uh, another way I think you can do this, because I know most of you are asking the question, well, pastor, what does that even look like? And I think there's a quote by a guy named Scott Saul, and I think this gives us a real good picture of how we can serve our neighbors during this time. And this is what Scott Saul says. In a time like now, Christian neighboring looks less like fearful self-preservation and more like servanthood towards the elderly who are more susceptible to the coronavirus, those with HIV and those with an autoimmune disease because their immune system is compromised. He says another way that we can serve our, our brothers and sisters are those who do not have health care, Right? Those who do not have health care, that's why it's important, which is going to be my last point, for the church to have the power of healing in their hand. Come on now. And the fatigued and the under-resourced health care workers, we should begin to serve them in this way. And I love the last point that he makes. He says, and what we should do is wash our hands for sure and then wash feet. <laughs> and then wash feet. That's how we should serve our brothers and sisters. And there are creative ways that you can take the gospel, both vertical and horizontal, to those who are hurting. Now, don't walk away from this and, and say, Pastor Jerry is telling us to be reckless. Pastor Jerry is telling us to be infected with a disease. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what Christ is saying. And that is not what his word is saying. Now, what his word is saying is be obedient. Be obedient when the Spirit of God call you to serve the brothers and sisters that he has entrusted to you, which brings to my last and final point, and that is prayer. One way that we should respond during this time of crisis is that we should be praying. In fact, we should practice prayer to position ourselves for healing. I'm going to say it again. We should be practicing prayer to position ourselves for healing. Now, I've already preached this sermon. The last sermon in um, our Faith That Works series was James chapter 5. And if you are a, a, a guest who are listening to that, go to our podcast and listen to that sermon because I was working on it today. I hope I was, all right? I was working on it today. But in that passage, he talks about the power of prayer and how it can bring forth healing. Now, there's three things he says that I think are very important for us to position ourselves to be ready to heal. The first thing that James says in um, James chapter 5, specifically 13 and 14, he says, in every season of life, pray. He said, is there anyone among you who is suffering? Let him pray. Is there anyone among you who is cheerful? Now, um, um, the cheerful ones, he tells them to sing. Because the cheerful ones, like you and I, should be telling those who are suffering, and watch this, those who are sick about the good news of Jesus. And finally, he says, and is there anyone among you who is sick? He said, then tell him to go to the elders and let them lay hands on him and pray for him. Because they're going to walk in the room with the anointing oil, just like our grandmother used to bring. They're going to walk in the room with the name of Jesus Christ, which allows us to remember that we have power in our prayer. He says, in every season of life, watch this, pray. And then he moves from prayer to promise. And he says, and if you pray the prayer of faith, then all those who are sick, he says, they will be healed and that the Lord will raise them up from the dead. And I know this is a bold proclamation, but I didn't say it. James said it. 
He says, if you pray, there's a promise connected to it where those who you pray for, watch this, will be healed. This is how we should be preparing ourselves in prayer, practicing prayer so that we may be ready to bring forth healing, which is the last and final point that James makes. He says, those who practice prayer and those who um, stand on the promise of prayer have the power to do it. And in verse 16, he simply says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now to my old King James brothers and sisters, remember the text, it says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. He said, you got power behind your prayer. You got promise behind your prayer. We should position ourselves in a way to bring forth healing to the brothers and sisters that God has entrusted to us. And so that's my encouragement for you all today. That's my encouragement for um, you as you sit in your life groups. That's my encouragement as you talk to your friends. That's my encouragement as you go to your job. That's my encouragement as you go to work out. That's my encouragement as you go to the grocery store that God is with us in the midst of our crisis. And because he is with us, our positioning should be that of serving our neighbors and practicing prayer so that we may get ready for healing. And so, man, as you um, um, continue to pray for these next seven days in the band, I encourage you to continue to gather with your life group. I encourage you to look for ways to um, be hospitable to those brothers in a time of need. And I encourage you to practice prayer so that you and I may be ready for healing. Let me pray for you. Eternal Father, I thank you so much for this time um, that you have called us. It is during a time of great crisis. It is a, during a time of, um, of darkness. It is during a time of hopelessness. And we know you do your best work in the dark. And so we just pray, God, that you would empower your people to do the great things that Jesus Christ said that we would do. During this time, you will empower your people to proclaim the gospel, allow them to be creative in their neighborhoods, to to love on the neighbors that you have called them to, Father. And I pray, Father, against any disease and any um, afflictions that may come upon them. I pray that you will hold it back by the power of the Holy Spirit so that none of our brothers and sisters may get sick. But if they do i pray father god that we may be in a position father to lay hands on them like james tells us to bring forth healing we love you we trust you and we lift you up it's in jesus christ's name that we pray that all the saints say now after every sermon one of the things we do here at dcc is contemplate and we ask ourselves three questions what is god calling us to stop What is God calling us to start? And what is God calling us to believe? Now, there's one thing I want to add to that. Who is God calling us to share this with? There is a brother or sister out there that you know can be encouraged by this message. Uh, A brother and sister that can be empowered that this is not just a crisis, but also an opportunity that you and I can share this message with. And so pray about who God is leading you to share this. And as you meditate on Um, these uh, four truths. Um, I'm going to have Jorge Munoz, the worship leader here at uh, Disciple City Church to come and to lead us in a time of worship as we contemplate on all that God allowed us to experience today. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.